everyone. Welcome to the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast, where mistakes are welcome, nothing is off limits, and growth is inevitable. I am Sharissa Wood. I'm Brittany Simon. And we are putting our brains together to bring you the tools you need to elevate your hygiene practice, build amazing team culture, and provide patients with the very best care. Our mission is to help empower and equip every hygienist to practice purposeful, profitable hygiene. We look to guide you on your journey towards career fulfillment by providing support, collaboration, and community to our profession. As two of the top producing hygienists in the country, we know firsthand that these things lead to sustainable and fulfilling practice and the happy side effect of high profitability. So let's get to it. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. Today, Teresa and I are talking about a very relevant topic, um, which is about the use of cannabis as it relates to oral health and how it can impact our patients' oral health and our experience with them in our chairs. I think this is definitely an appropriate time to become very familiar with the ADA stance and what current research shows regarding marijuana use. Because our patient population is gobbling up any research, whether it's legitimate or not, valid, reliable, or otherwise surfacing about the potential benefits of cannabis, and there's a general societal acceptance of these potential benefits, but I want to make sure that we're getting all the facts, that we have a balanced and realistic impression of the pros and cons of chronic cannabis use, and how to potentially manage some of these signs clinically, as well as how to talk to our patients about cannabis using, using valid and reliable information. Yeah, and I'm glad I'm glad we're doing this today because I have had a lot of patients lately coming in Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're going through their medical history and they'll circle the do you smoke question and, you know, I'll say, so you're a smoker and they're like, well, really just pot or weed, you know, whatever. Um, And I'm like, how often are you doing that? Well, pretty much daily. So I feel like it's really on the rise. So I think I'm glad we're talking about this today. You know, what's so interesting is most of my patients will circle no, they don't smoke. Okay. And I'm like, okay, do you, do you use tobacco? And I'll specifically ask them because I want to clarify and right. I'll specifically do you use tobacco. No. Um, do you smoke anything else? Well, yeah. Okay. Do you, do you smoke marijuana? Like, what is it? I just, I just need to know because it impacts what we do here. Yeah. I smoke marijuana to sleep or whatever, you know, but it's funny because mine usually check no. And I have to kind of dig. Got it. Got it. Very interesting. So of course the information that we're divulging to you guys is coming straight from the ADA and it's a compilation of the most current valid and reliable research. So I'm going to go through kind of an introduction about cannabis and kind of go through oral effects, um, general systemic health effects and so on and so forth. So cannabis is a genus of annual flowering plants with a long history of use for industrial, recreational and medicinal purposes. The plant cannabis sativa acts as a mild sedative and mood enhancer for recreational users and is used for an analgesic and anti-emetic properties in clinical applications. The dried leaves of, of the cannabis plant can be smoked as marijuana, which is its most common form currently used by about 12% of American adults, which is up from 7% in 2013. The proportion of users has increased dramatically since the early 1970s. In a 2017 survey, about 45% of Americans said they had at least tried marijuana. Starting in 2012, certain U.S. states began legalizing the substance for medical and or recreational usage. Notwithstanding the gain in the social and legal acceptance of cannabis, public health concerns remain. Chemical analysis of cannabis finds more than 500 compounds, of which over 120 are cannabinoids, a class of chemicals that directly interact with the nervous system's endogenous cannabinoid receptors. 
From a neurotropic perspective, THC is the most important of these cannabinoids responsible for its psychoactive effects. The concentration of THC determines a cannabis product's potency and varies widely across, across and within various preparations. THC potency of cannabis products has been observed to be increasing over time. The dried leaves or flowers of the cannabis plant are usually rolled into cigarettes or placed in water or a bong or type of pipe that is smoked or its resin or oil, oil forms, which is called hashish and hash oil respectively, is ingested or inhaled. When smoked, marijuana delivers average THC concentrations between 0.5% and 9.6%. That's rather a large bracket. Yes, it is. Yep. Um, cannabis can also be vaporized through a non-combustive heating process that releases psychoactive compounds such as THC, which are inhaled by the user. Several vaporizer models, including pen-sized and tabletop smoking devices, are used for vaping, cannabis herb, wax, or e-liquid. Initial research has shown that cannabis vaping has become increasingly popular among adolescents and can also produce stronger subjective drug effects and impairment in cognitive functioning. Another method of cannabis administration known as dabbing uses concentrated butane hash oil, which is vaporized rapidly and inhaled. Dabbing with cannabis concentrate is a highly potent mode of administration with THC concentrations ranging from, wait for this, 66.4% to 75.5%. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The practice of dabbing has been cited as a causal factor in a, in a case report of acute lung injury mimicking pneumonia, as well as adverse events associated with the high THC concentration, such as incapacitation and vomiting. Cannabis can also be mixed into food substances, and numerous cannabis-derived food products are available for for medicinal and recreational purposes, particularly in the United States, that have legalized recreational marijuana. Consuming foods containing cannabis or cannabis-derived compounds, THC, is associated with slower onset of psychoactive effects, which can be delayed by one to three hours. And I have heard, I mean, I haven't heard, you know, personally, I've just, you know, friends of friends of friends have told me that was a joke. <laughs> Not that far removed. It's, it's uh, legal in the state of Florida, actually, for medicinal purposes. But I have heard interesting stories about um, especially consuming foods with cannabis that the onset is very, very slow. So people usually make the mistake of taking too much and kind of overdosing and it's a problem. Hey, Bulletproof Hygiene listeners, we have some big, exciting news. We are proud to announce that our 2022 summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee, June 3rd and 4th. Come join us for a weekend of growth, learning, and collaboration. We'll be taking deep dives into team culture, leadership, hygiene systems, and patient care and education that bring fulfillment, career success, and practice profitability. This course has the potential to change the trajectory of your career and help you practice at the top of your game. If you missed us in 2021, trust us, you don't want to miss this. Visit BulletproofSummit.com to get all the details and observe your spot. We can't wait to see you there. So the neurological and behavioral effects of cannabis include a sense of well-being coupled with immediate cognitive and psychomotor impairment. Frequent use has long been associated with chronic systemic health effects, including addiction and disruption of brain development, particularly among adolescents who are not only the most likely to try the drug, but are also at a critical period for brain development. Cannabis use in adolescence 
is associated with an unclear relationship with psychotic disorders and an exacerbation of psychotic symptoms, including schizophrenic episodes, as well as suicidal ideation and behavior. Prenatal cannabis exposure has also been associated with childhood psychopathology. Immediate cardiovascular effects of cannabis include heart rate, uh, increased heart rate, tachycardia, and microcirculation disruptions that can lead to a number of serious conditions from myocardial infarction to stroke and vascular occlusive diseases referred to as cannabis arteritis. In addition, there are case reports of sudden cardiac death during intoxication, plus one study that found greater risk of increased systolic blood pressure after cannabis use. Cannabis contains many of the same carcinogens as tobacco, and chronic smoking of marijuana is associated with similar respiratory pathologies as tobacco smoking. Although co-occurrence of tobacco and marijuana smoking complicates ascribing causality to cannabis. So it's just hard to figure out how much of this can be attributed to the cannabis use because so many people who smoke marijuana also smoke cigarettes. Right. So let's talk about the medicinal um, and over-the-counter cannabis and cannabinoids. So the evidence base for cannabis use as a therapeutic medication is in its infancy still. There's some evidence supporting cannabis as an antiemetic and as an appetite stimulator for patients with cancer and AIDS, as well as a pain and spasm reducer for a number of chronic conditions. Some studies have suggested that cannabis as an anti-inflammatory or antibacterial properties, as well as having utility as a therapy for glaucoma because of its effects in reducing intraocular pressure. Medicinal cannabis can be administered in botanical, aka smoked form, added as an ingredient in food, inhaled as a vapor or mist, applied topically, or ingested as a pharmaceutically manufactured medication. Examples of pharmaceutically manufactured cannabis-related or cannabis-derived drugs approved by the FDA include, these are the list of them now, dronabinol, which is a synthetic form of THC. It's, it's commercially marketed as marinol, which is a capsule, and syndrose, which is an oral solution. There's also nabilone, which is a synthetic drug with a chemical structure similar to THC, and it's commercially marketed as sesamet. And then there's epidiolex, which is a purified form of cannabidol or CBD, a non-psychotropic cannabinoid derived from cannabis. So pharmaceutical administration in tablet or capsule form is more common among individuals who are not accustomed to smoking recreationally, and most studies do not show a significant difference in effectiveness among modes of administration. CBD is one of several cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant. Unlike THC, it is non-psychotropic and has been increasing in popularity for its claimed use of providing relief from conditions such as anxiety, depression, insomnia, pain, and epilepsy. Popular CBD forms include CBD suspended in oil, alcohol, or a spray administered sublingually, vaporization liquid, capsules, pills, topical creams, and edibles. Although hemp, which is cannabis with a THC concentration of less than 3%, is no longer considered a controlled substance under the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, over-the-counter CBD products and dietary supplements containing or derived from cannabis are not FDA approved. In September 2021, the CDC released a health advisory warning consumers that CBD product labeling may underestimate the concentration of THC by not reporting Delta-8 THC concentrations, which may result in psychoactive and other adverse effects. More studies of cannabis-derived compounds in clinical trial, trial settings are needed to assess safety and efficacy. A rapid recommendation published in the British Medical Journal in September 2021 issued a week 
recommendation to offer a trial of non-inhaled medical cannabis or cannabinoids for the management of cancer and non-cancer patients suffering from chronic pain who are not responding to standard treatment, reporting very small improvements in physical function and pain and sleep quality, respectively. The, the guidance also noted that the labeling of over-the-counter cannabis products may be misleading and that adverse side effects may negate any potential positive outcome. So it's still very unclear. The FDA has not approved a marketing application for CBD products for the treatment of any disease or condition with the exception of prescription drug Epidiolex, which contains a purified form of CBD and is used to treat seizures associated with two rare and severe forms of epilepsy, which are Lennox-Gastaut syndrome and Dravet syndrome. So let's get to the oral effects uh, of cannabis use and how this affects our patients' mouths. So the use of cannabis, particularly marijuana smoking, has been associated with poor quality of oral health, but etiology has been complicated by a number of associated factors with frequent users, including concomitant use of tobacco, alcohol, and other drugs, poor oral hygiene practices, and infrequent visits to the dentist. It also leads to xerostomia, which can, put, which can contribute to a number of oral health conditions. Further, the main psychotropic agent, THC, is an appetite stimulant, which often leads users to consume cariogenic snack foods. Regular cannabis users are known to have significantly higher numbers of caries than non-users, particularly on normally easy-to-reach smooth surfaces. Leukoedema is also more common among can cannabis users than non-users, but it is unclear whether associated irritants such as orally inhaled smoke, rather than the cannabis itself, may be contributing, may be contributing to the cause. Smoking marijuana is associated with gingival enlargement, erythroplakia, and chronic inflammation of the oral mucosa with hyperkeratosis and leukoplakia, sometimes referred to as cannabis stomatitis, which can develop into malignant neoplasias. So clearly it's increasing your risk for oral cancer. It has been reported that a synergistic effect between tobacco and cannabis smoke may increase oral and neck cancer risk for people who smoke both. The risk and aggressiveness of cancers associated with cannabis appear to be higher in younger, aka less than 50-year-old, users. Immunosuppressive effects of cannabis, especially in association with oral papillomavirus in smokers, may contribute to these increased risks of cancers. But other studies have found no association between marijuana use itself and head and neck cancers. The immunosuppressive effects of cannabis may, may contribute as well to a higher prevalence of oral candidiasis compared to non-users. It's been hypothesized that hydrocarbons present in cannabis provide an energy source for candida albicans, resulting in increased presence and density of colonies. Alternatively, the generally poor oral hygiene among many cannabis users may promote candidiasis colonization. Recent research has suggested that viable microbiota may be transmitted from the contaminated marijuana which could further exacerbate a pathogenic oral environment. So there have been a number of studies that have suggested a direct relationship between cannabis use and periodontal disease, including several systematic reviews and a 2020 rapid evidence review. Recent studies have tested the relationship between periodontitis and frequent cannabis use and adjusted for confounding factors such as cigarette smoking, alcohol use, social status, and other health issues. Significantly higher rates of periodontitis were observed among the frequent users compared to non-users with significantly higher numbers of sites with high pocket depths greater than four millimeters and attachment loss. Further, periodontitis may occur at an earlier age in marijuana users than the general population with chronic periodontitis. 
A study of adolescents in Chile, however, found no association between regular use of cannabis and periodontal disease, but it may be expected that long-term use would result in periodontal disease later in life. In the histometric experiment, laboratory rats exposed to marijuana smoke had a significant increase in alveolar bone loss due to periodontitis, despite research that has indicated that specific cannabinoids such as the non-psychotropic cannabidiol, CBD, may prevent bone loss. Dental care implications. So signs, signs and symptoms of an active or intoxicated cannabis user. Let's talk about these people in our chairs um, coming to dental visits with actively intoxicated with cannabis use. Um, we may identify, you know, euphoria, hyperactivity, tachycardia, paranoia, delusions, and hallucinations. So here's some considerations for patients using marijuana in our chair. You know, a currently intoxicated or high user may present several difficulties for us. Uh, this includes, you know, potentially increased anxiety, paranoia, hyperactivity. It may heighten the stress experience of a dental visit for them. Increased heart rate and other cardiorespiratory effects of cannabis make the use of epinephrine and local anesthetics for pain control potentially life-threatening. Patients may be unwilling to self-report marijuana use or unable to answer reliably, but determination of intoxication may be possible during the routine cardiac risk assessment. It is because of the dangers of administering epinephrine or products containing alcohol to a high patient, in addition to increased anxiety and paranoia, that dentists may, re may refuse to treat the intoxicated patient or consider postponing non-emergency treatment for at least 24 hours. Additionally, there may be legal implications regarding validity of informed consent with intoxicated patients, especially with irreversible procedures like extractions, which makes sense. Effects of acute intoxication um, effects are reported to subside within two to three hours. So the following dental findings may indicate a chronic recreational cannabis user. Um, this person may present with xerostomia, leukoplakia, periodontitis, gingival enlargement and hyperplasia, increased decayed, missing, or filled teeth, stomatitis, candida candidiasis, and alveolar bone loss. Yeah, and I want to make another point here, too. I mean, not only do we need to be concerned about epinephrine in that scenario, but I've seen patients who are frequent um, users that have a really hard time getting numb mm -hmm. or don't respond at all to the nitrous. You know, they want to come in and, and do the nitrous, and they, yeah. it, like, does nothing for them. Yeah. Yeah, I have too. And from what I've read or what I've, what I've heard, at least from other docs, is that it affects the same receptors as whatever nitrous does. So like, yeah, it has to, you jack up the nitrous and they're, they're, um, oh my God, they have a tolerance. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like, I wonder if, you know, these frequent users, it almost kind of burns out the receptors and it takes yeah. more and more for them to feel it. So they, they just don't feel the nitrous. Yeah. That's been my experience too. Yeah. So if the patient appears to be a user, it may be helpful to understand whether the use is medicinal, as this might suggest relevant comorbidities. Uh, verification of cannabis use may be an opportunity to discuss other health consequences and inform the patient of the importance of fluoride, good oral hygiene practices, and healthy snacking. When dental health care providers suspect cannabis use, it's recommended to complete a comprehensive oral exam and include questions about cannabis use in a thorough dental and medical history, Emphasize the importance of regular dental visits and oral care. Make sure that we're encouraging healthy, nutritious snacks over sweet cariogenic snacks. Consider employing preventive measures such as topical fluorides. Consider treatment for xerostomia while avoiding alcohol-containing products. And keep advised of current changes in the applicable laws on recreational or medical cannabis in your area. 
So one of the things that you just mentioned, Teresa, about the, the nitrous difficulties, that's one thing that I've definitely noticed impacts my patients just in an anecdotal way. Um, another thing that I've seen with chronic marijuana use is just that like brown green stain on yes. like the, the link, the direct lingual surfaces. So not necessarily like the interproximals, but like that just like, it's pretty, it's tenacious too. Yes. It's like green tea stain, like green tea and cannabis is like very similar and it's a pain in the butt. It's hard to come off. Um, those are the two main ways that I've seen it, you know, present in my chair, but I wasn't really aware of what the correlation is between the caries things make sense to me. And actually the perio thing does too. I just wasn't sure if those both were the case. Um, and a lot of the snacking, it, it kind of impacts everything, but it's so difficult with this. It, I'm not sure if in 10 or 20 years, we're going to look at this. Like we look at, you know, doctors used to recommend smoking cigarettes. Right. You know, so I'm just kind of like, are we in 10 or 20 years going to say like, oh yeah, you know, this, this might uh, help you to feel better mentally or give you like, you know, some sort of benefit, health benefit, but also these are all the detriments and it actually increases your risk for cancer and perio and caries and all these things, you know, like, was that the wrong call? I think that a lot of these things are so heavily influenced by our society and not so much by scientific research. Right. And I think that's the case right now, you know, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm not politically neither for nor against, I'm just open to whatever it is, you know? So, well, and and I think, yeah. And I don't think we have to get into that aspect of it. I think, you know, as hygienists, our number one goal is that we're keeping our patients healthy Uh and helping them understand the risks. And, you know, this might be a really great time to have the conversation about, you know, obviously I know you like the THC aspect of this, but you know, we know what this can put you at risk for. And I have myself seen, um, like I said, I've had a lot of patients that have been very forward about, you know, that mm-hmm. they're frequent users. And mm-hmm. I have seen those effects of having the zero, zero stomia and having increased decay and poor hygiene yeah. um, and, and periodontal disease for sure. So I think it's just another opportunity for us to educate our patients on, you know, hey, this is what this can put you at risk for. I didn't realize, and this has been enlightening to me, I've enjoyed this. Um, some of the cardiovascular issues that could come with that. So, you know, I, and I doubt that all of our patients recognize that either. Um, but, you know, this might be a good time to have the conversation of, hey, you know, CBD can yeah. still give you a lot of benefits for, you know, if this is more of an anxiety or, you know, that kind of thing, that might be something to look into that isn't putting you as, as at a higher risk, like the THC and the actual smoking. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, the purpose of this episode is just to be informative and kind of like yeah. take this information and implement yeah. it however you see fit, because this is going to be something that is continuing to develop. There's going to be a lot more research coming out consistently about this. So I think it's a really hot topic and something to stay, stay on top of, because it's going to be rapidly developing as laws change and as um, standards and societal expectations change. And as the, um, the, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? my words, my words today, like the taboo-ness of it goes away. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I do have conversations with my patients and I know, I think we're going to do a a podcast down the road on specifically on vaping itself, but Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of patients are vaping marijuana. Yeah. And one of the things that I let my patients know is, Hey, vaping is actually one of those things. It's not, um, governed, um, as far as how much of the materials they're putting in the vape. So yeah. when you talked about that range, that crazy wide range of what can be present, um, that's something to re- realistically consider. 
especially in light of some of like, like you said, the tachycardia, some of those cardiovascular things, Mm -hmm. um, this could really have an impact on your quality of life and long-term health. So, um, and, and also I thought that was really interesting having teenagers, um, hearing that about the issue with brain development Mm -hmm. in adolescence, you know, you know, you know, teens aren't thinking about any of that, but that is something that's important to kind of share, you know, like you said, the good thing is we can a lot of times see that green stain. Mm-hmm. And you, if you've got a teen in your chair and you're seeing that green stain, it's worth having the conversation of like, hey, I don't have to have this conversation with your mom, but I do want to have it with you. Like, I see this in here. I know what this is from. I just want to make you aware of what this puts you at risk for, you know, as your brain is still growing and developing. And, and this can really create some long-term psychosis issues. Right. Yeah. Oh, stigma. That was the word I was trying to think of. Got it. Stigma. The stigma is greatly evolving and being reduced. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Dental Hygiene Podcast. We hope that it was helpful and informative. We hope that you can take some of the nuggets away from this episode and start educating your patients in your chair, um, feeling a little bit more prepared and ready to do that like we are. Um, Really, really thankful for your presence here. Please, please, please remember to connect with us on our Mighty Network. It's an app you can download and search Bulletproof Hygiene. It's an ongoing live forum where you can give us ideas for podcast topics. Um, We can chat one-on-one. So please hit us up there. And also, if you've been wanting to come to our summit um, and you missed last year, the year before, it is happening and it is approaching rapidly. It's going to be June 3rd and 4th in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, early bird tickets are already sold out. If you're interested in more information or potentially registering you or your team, please go to bulletproofsummit.com and you can figure everything out that you need there. Everybody have a great week and please join us on our Mighty Network and join the community. See you guys next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Bulletproof Hygiene Podcast. We hope you've had as much fun as we have. Don't forget to click subscribe for a lot more where this came from. We appreciate your support and promise to keep the hygiene gems coming. Keep track of upcoming Bulletproof Hygiene events by visiting bulletproofhygiene.com or download the Mighty Networks app and search Bulletproof Hygiene to stay connected. We want to hear from you.